mystery. In our history. Hey everyone, thank you for listening to the Mystery in Our History podcast, where we take an in-depth look at all things urban legend and conspiracy theory related and how they came to be. I'm J.R. Supa, and joining me as always is Chris Berry. Hello. So this is a special episode. Why is it special? Because it's our first Halloween episode. Spooky. Yeah. (laughs) So we thought, you know, there's, like, Halloween is one of those months where, like, there's so many myths and urban legends and stuff that kind of surround the holiday. So we thought for our first one, we would go nice and easy um, and put a nice little special Halloween episode for you. So we, we chose a very um, lighthearted topic, I think. and Relatively. Yeah, relatively lighthearted topic, right? So this week's episode, we are going to be focusing on poison Halloween candy. Yeah, you never <laughs> want it. You never want to eat that candy without checking it first. Or do you? Yeah. Um, well, I guess we're so, going to find out, right? Yeah. This is this is the epitome of an urban legend. Um, and we are going to... Is it fact or fiction, right? Like, is are there cases out there of, of poison Halloween candy? Brought to you, as always, by no one. But we're still sipping the Natty Lights. <laughs> Come on, Natty. Get, get, uh, get, get at, at us. Get at me, Natty. All right. So... Tales of evil psychos handing out poison candy on Halloween to unsuspecting little kids have been around for decades, literally decades. And I remember 20 plus years ago, right, when, you know, my parents had to check my Halloween candy uh, at night after I went trick-or-treating before I was allowed to eat any of it. And most of the time they would just send me to bed and be like, you can have all your candy tomorrow, but we have to check it tonight. And every <laughs> year, that's it. And I always that was just, code... I always that was just figured they were, were eating some. it. Yeah, I was just I always just figured they were fucking eating it, and they were just <laughs> using like this this myth of like poison candy as like a ruse. <laughs> but um, every year sees the news coverage in response to these you know tall tales. Um, radio, TV, newspapers all issue dark warnings about tampered candy and suggesting taking the little ones to parties instead of collecting goodies, door to door. Um, there was actually even a column in 1995 warning uh, everyone against the Mad Poisoner, saying, uh, quote, In recent years, there have been reports of people with twisted minds putting razor blades and poison in taffy apples and Halloween candy, end quote. But where did all this paranoia come from? Are there really people out there poisoning kids with Halloween candy? And more importantly, who the fuck hands out candy apples on Halloween? <laughs> That's just impractical. <laughs> Uh, but we're going to take a look back and see what this urban legend got at start and if there's any evidence out there to actually support it. I, I mean, I'd rather get the candy apple than like, you, you know, that dentist's house that's always on everyone's block. They're like, yes. here's some floss and toothpaste and yes. tothbrush. Give me the candy apple all day long. Like, give me the raisins even. I'll take raisins. Uh, I would over take that. raisins over the fucking toothbrush toothpaste combo. Mm-hmm. But sure. we'll start with a little bit of history, hence mystery in our history <laughs> let's go shocker right <laughs> claims that candy was poisoned or adulterated that's right adulterated gained general credence during the industrial revolution so that's how far far back this goes um this is when food production moved out of the home or local area where it was made in familiar ways by known and trusted people to strangers using unknown ingredients and unfamiliar machines and processes. Some doctors publicly claim that they were treating children poisoned by candy every day. If a child became ill and had eaten candy, the candy was widely assumed to be the cause. However, no cases of illness or death were ever substantiated. (laughs) Just like a a straight-up like scapegoat incidents there with the candy. It's just like, hey, I don't know what's wrong with Timmy. Did he eat candy? I don't know, poison. Must be. Like, jeez Louise. <laughs> poison candy. But but then back then, like, all you needed to be a doctor was just being like, uh, I studied medicine once, and everyone was just like, cool. Yeah, I, I apprenticed for, like, three weeks with some guy who got his medical degree in Columbia, so now I'm a doctor. Yeah, exactly. And it was, like, usually, like, like I don't know, the, the 
the barber was the local oh yeah <laughs> local doctor it was just like oh oh you do <laughs> medicine too West. huh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so in the 1890s and 1900s, the U.S. Bureau of Chemistry and other state agencies tested hundreds of kinds of candy and found no evidence whatsoever of poisons. These tests revealed that inexpensive glucose from corn syrup was in common use for cheap candies and that some candies contained trace amounts of copper from uncoated copper cooking pans and um, that total, I'm sorry, that car tar Coal tar dyes. Jeez, already. It's every episode. gets <laughs> One thing gets me. Trace amounts of copper from uncoated copper cooking pans. And you think that would be the one that got me, right? Like, it's, it's so many Cs. But anyway, <laughs> that coal tar dyes were being used for coloring, but there was no evidence of the many types of poison, industrial waste, garbage, or other adulterants alleged to be present. Eventually, the claims that children were being sickened by candy were put down to indigestion due to overeating, because America's a bunch of fatties, <laughs> or to other causes, including food poisoning due to improper cooking, hygiene, or storage of meat and other foods, which makes perfect sense in the 1890s and 1900s. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, like, you pretty much rule out the candy was poisoned from the source. It's just like a hint of that good old lead or copper here or there, but, I mean... Let's be honest. It makes you uh, nice and hearty. Yeah. It's like grow big and strong with micro traces of lead and copper in your system. And I mean, nothing's going to take you down. It makes perfect sense. It's it's like Colossus from X-Men. <laughs> you want to be strong like Colossus? You got to get a little lead and copper in your diet. You know, I swear to God, never told me that when I was a kid. He's still my favorite X-Man. And, Colossus? Uh, yeah. I probably Dude, no way. Just, like, That's my lead. favorite yeah. X-Man. Dude. No joke. That's great. That's, yeah. No. Yeah. He's my favorite. Yeah. Hands down. I always want. I always wondered if he had underwater breathing, could he turn to metal and just sink to the bottom of the ocean and just walk around? Probably. Or does if, he like? If he has that he ability. Breathe? No, yeah. he definitely doesn't have underwater breathing. But like that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But I always but, think about that. But we digress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Back from our tangent. Now we should also take a look at some social causes that most likely contributed to this urgent, ur, urgent urban legend. And the facts that they had, or the effects that they had. Just, it, this is not a good day. Here we go. Uh-oh. Three sips into my natty, and I already can't freaking speak. <laughs> oh, he's drunk. Oh, God. <laughs> <sighs> All right, here we go. The prevalence and persistence of these myths during the 1960s and 70s, a time of social upheaval, greater racial integration and improved statuses for women reflected societal questions about who was trustworthy because society was struggling with questions about whether to trust neighbors in newly integrated neighborhoods or young women who were publicly rejecting the subservient motherhood focused roles previously assigned to women these stories about unidentifiable neighbors allegedly harming random innocent children during an event intended to bring happiness to these children caught on and retained the public imagination in a way that accurate stories about a judgmental neighbor, an abusive parent, or an adult carelessly leaving harmful chemicals where children could reach them would not have. I was going to say, like, it seems crazy, uh, like crazy, crazy times, but then just kind of thought about how we're, like, kind of currently repeating ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's like I've noticed a lot of like a discourse around children lately, but now it seems to be like more of like on a political level. Strangely well, enough, I, I just blame Kanye West. Yeah, well, that's fair. I mean, a lot of things can be blamed on him if we're being <laughs> honest. Um, <laughs> also, he hasn't he hasn't dropped uh, Yandi. I mean, where where's that? It, it might have come called. out. It might have come out by the time this podcast airs. However, at the time it's being recorded, it is not out. No, it was supposed to come out last November. Last November, so. and it's but he's yeah. he's tweaking some things. He's just in he's, the, he's in the studio tweaking some things. <laughs> he's just tweaking it. But I, I digress. I mean, I just wouldn't be shocked if like this poison candy myth kind of came back as like disguised as like political opponents trying to kill your kids. <laughs> like, because that's just everything boils down to politics. Joe these days. Biden likes to hand out cyanide to children. <laughs> Would you elect a cyanide peddling? <laughs> whatever he is <laughs> awkward toucher awkward overtoucher <laughs> well some the academics no. the I, no. yes. <laughs> I hope so um, some academics <laughs> also view this as an example of a rumor panic 
With Halloween developing as a carnival-like folk institution meant to release social tensions, losing its functionality as neighborhoods themselves break down for various reasons. <laughs> Very similar to the like satanic panic from the 60s, 70s, right. 80s, 90s, now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's so. so what effects did this have during this period? Due to their fears, parents and communities restricted trick-or-treating and developed alternative, quote, safe, end quote, events such as trunk-or-treat events held at Christian churches. This collective fear also served as the impetus for a, quote-unquote, safe trick-or-treating offered by many local malls. I love trunk-or-treat, and I love the idea behind trunk-or-treat. Uh, I love the sound of trunk-or-treat, but it's, I just I think it's the stupidest thing on the planet. Uh, see, that's fair, but, like, here's here's my defense for it. Like, okay. instead of, like, the instance of being, like, we're scared of poison candy, it's more or less, like, if you live in a good apartment complex where kids don't have a neighborhood to go to, they go out in the parking lot and do a trunk-or-treat kind of thing. Like, right, we, where everybody we did just donates candy. Yeah, yeah, and you just kind of sit out there and hand out candy to all the, yeah, po- like, cool. the kids that are living in an apartment complex that don't have neighborhoods to go to. Yeah. So, it's a good idea. I like it. Well... This story also promoted the sale of individually wrapped brand name candies and discouraged people from giving homemade treats to children. <laughs> Good. Good riddance, loose candy corn. Get it out of my life forever. I'm still convinced. We're, we're, we may have to do this one Halloween, um, but I, there's a myth that candy corn was made like once. All of the candy corn that ever existed was produced once in a oh. mass quantity and it's just recycled every year. <laughs> recycled? Like, do you mean like gone through digestion and recycled? No, 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 no. Like whatever okay. has not been sold since the beginning of time that it's been made is now just like either repackaged or, you know what I mean, just sent the next year. It never, <laughs> it never actually gets remade because they made so much of it. I never heard of that, but I would love to look into it. <laughs> I definitely want to check it out. But if you're watching right now on YouTube, uh, you'll see a picture of an automobile trunk at a trunk or treat event at St. John's Lutheran Church and Early Learning Center in Darien, Illinois. If you're listening on iTunes or SoundCloud, we'll post uh, the pic to our Instagram page at 4GuysMedia so you can check it out. And that's at the number 4GuysMedia. So several events in the late 20th century fostered a modern-day candy-tampering myth. And we're going to go into some of those now. Hmm. In 1959, a California dentist, William Shine, Shine, gave candy-coated laxative pills to trick-or-treaters. He was charged with outrage of public decency and unlawful dispensing of drugs. <laughs> that is a shitty thing to do, literally and, and figuratively. figuratively. It's just absolutely what a shitty. Asshole. Yeah. This is why like, people don't like dentists, by the way. Is it really? I mean, that's not why I don't like dentists, but No, I'm I, I hate dentists for totally different reasons, yeah. but it's not helping their cause. That's right. That's right. It's not helping me, that's for right. sure. <laughs> well, so there was a woman in nineteen sixty four that handed out poison trick uh handed out poison to trick-or-treaters, which we'll get into in a little more detail in a little bit. But that same year saw the media reporting on live-field bubblegum being handed out in Detroit and rat poison being given in Philadelphia, although these media reports were never substantiated to actually be events that occurred. So, another notable milestone in the spread of the candy-tampering myths was an article published in the New York Times in 1970. This article claimed that, quote, those Halloween goodies that children collect this weekend on their rounds of trick-or-treating may bring them more horror than happiness, end quote, and provided specific examples of ta- potential tamperings. So in the magazine, was the, were these like actual instances of candy tampering, or is it no, just fear-mongering? it was fear-mongering. It was like, this is what could be in your kid's candy. Like, this is God what damn. they could be doing. It was just like fostering this... Oh my God, fear. Fucking New York Times, man. Yeah. Come on. Well, it's just Get media together. in general. So reports <laughs> and copycat incidents peaked shortly after the Chicago Tylenol murders, uh, which were first reported one month before Halloween in 1982. And this incident involved the murderer who added poison to a few bottles of over-the-counter medication after the medication had been delivered to stores. That's tricky. I, I wonder what the motive was there. Like... 
Why poison someone at random? What do you get out of it? Some people just want to watch the world burn, Master Bruce. I guess I guess so. <laughs> Jesus. Now, there are many cases out there that were originally thought to be poison candy cases, and these, as well as other slightly related cases, most likely fueled the fire to make this myth what it is today. Now, so far, we have yet to come across a case that was legitimately just a crazy asshole handing out poison to kids randomly for no personal gain unless you count big tobacco. Am I right, Chris? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> but they had me for ten years, man. So here are some of the bigger cases originally thought to be poison candy cases. See, I like this is why I wanted to get in, like, and do this episode originally because, like, there isn't really any cases of poison candy out there that are verifiable uh, for the most part. But we're we're gonna get into that now, and you'll see how little cases there are, like how. This is nothing here, but let's, yeah. (laughs) So these are, these are the cases. Like this is what, all of these cases are essentially what caused the great candy panic. (laughs) As it will be referred to by this show and no one else. (laughs) Now, by far the most famous case of Halloween candy poisoning that I could dig up was the murder of eight-year-old Timothy Mark O'Brien at the hands of his father, Ronald Clark O'Brien, in Houston, Texas. And that is the spoiler alert. The child died at 10 p.m. on October 31st, 1974, as a result of eating cyanide-laced pixie sticks acquired while trick-or-treating. Yeah. Yep, this is the guy. I've read and listened to, like, other podcasts about this jackass, and he is a monster. Absolute animal. So make no mistake, this was the act of a complete psychopath. But to make it look like a work of a random psychopath, O'Brien also gave the poison pixie sticks to his daughter and three other children. But luckily, none of the other children ate the candy. And and this is originally why people thought to check candy. Mm-hmm. It, all, it all really stems from this one instance and the kicker is that the father did it not a random yeah person and now candy it's just it's wild so it, it was yeah it was family like that's right ugh. so the prosecution proved that o'brien had purchased cyanide and had accompanied the group of children on their door-to-door mission the crazy or yeah the door-to-door mission the the trick-or-treating if you will mm-hmm. the crazy part was that there was there was another parent with them and they didn't see anything. And now it's easy to see in retrospect or in hindsight. Um, you can say like the second parent is a piece of shit for not noticing O'Brien putting, you know, weird candy in all these kids' bags. But in reality, how could someone suspect another person of that sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, I don't really think it's fair at all to say that that other parent's a piece of shit. I mean, O'Brien could have done that at any point on the trip. And it... it it's not like they thought O'Brien was untrustworthy. I mean, they went right. trick-or-treating with him. Exactly. I mean, I'm not watching people I'm going trick-or-treating with like a hawk. You know, I, I trust them. Right. You're, so. you're all parents. You're just assuming, like, you love your kids. and, and... Yeah. We're all looking out for each other, basically. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So none of the places visited that night were giving out pixie sticks, which, mm. you know, the red flag. <laughs> yeah. Young Mark's life was insured for a large sum of money. Second red flag, and collecting on this policy has always been pointed to as the motive behind the murder. Man, this is such a scumbag move, like killing kids for insurance money. Like, oh my god, killing kids in general is just the lowest of lows. It's so bad. But like, doing it for insurance money, like for greed? Mm -hmm. Jesus, dude. And so here's the crazy part, right? The case against O'Brien was completely circumstantial. No one saw the father poison the candy or slip the pixie sticks into the boy's bag. But O'Brien was still convicted of murder on May in May of 1975. And he received a death sentence and was executed by lethal injection on March 31st, 1984. Although, in my opinion, it would have been better if they did it on October 31st. <laughs> Good. And I agree. It would have yeah. been better if they did it on Halloween. <laughs> Just like, this is your trick-or-treat, pal. Exactly. Death. Trick, motherfucker. 
The O'Brien murder was an attempt to use a well-known urban legend to cover up the premeditated murder of one particular child, which means this urban legend had to be widely accepted at the time of the murder, which we established previously. It's been around since the 1890s. But it wasn't a random act to complete strangers, so it's not really able to qualify as an example of the myth itself. Yeah, and, like, that's the thing. It was only an urban legend at that point. It wasn't a real problem. O'Brien made it a real problem that day, though. Correct. So, congrats. Congrats to you, man. <laughs> you you made the, the legend uh, f- fact, I guess, or... Dad of the Year. Truth. Yeah, 1974, geez. Dad of the Year. God. <laughs> Terrible. Scumbag. Another example of someone using this legend to mislead the authorities concerning the circumstances surrounding the little boy's death took place in Detroit, of all places, in 1970. On November 2nd, 1970, five-year-old Kevin Tostin fell into a coma and died four days later of a heroin overdose. A heroin overdose in Detroit, you say? Ludicrous. Mm. (laughs) Analysis of some of his Halloween candy showed that it had been sprinkled with heroin. So this is before O'Brien. It is. So I was totally wrong on that last part, and that's bad on me. <laughs> uh, I thought I thought O'Brien was the only instance. Also, where did this kid get his candy? New Hampshire? <laughs> Zinged him. Got him. Got him. <laughs> it's a it's, it's 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 a joke to everyone else, but not not me. <laughs> no, because you live it every day. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so this case was widely reported as a real life example of Halloween sadism. Thank you, media, for running with it before you had all the facts. Not nearly so widely circulated were the results of the police investigation, because God forbid the media come back and say, ah, we fucked up. Mm. And that concluded that the boy had accidentally got into his uncle's heroin stash and poisoned himself, and that the family had had then sprinkled heroin on the kid's candy after the fact to try and protect the uncle. Jeez, dude. That so yeah. It had nothing to do with the candy. So nope, I just, just all I retract- around stand up parents. All right. So I retract that last statement. You just O'Brien's still the first monster to 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 get out to do it. But still, th- I I see I disagree because those parents are fucking scumbags too. Yeah, cuz they try to cover it up with Right. Like, yeah. Like their yeah, kid no, died right. of a heroin overdose and they're like, "Oh, well, uh it's my brother's fault." Because he left his heroin stash out, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take some heroin, I'm going to sprinkle it on the candy, and then that will make it look like some other person killed my son. Yeah, dude, that's insane. It, yeah, so... Insane. Fuck them. Mm. Now, predating both of those stories is the odd case of Helen Feel. That is the story we alluded to earlier in the podcast. She's a Greenlaw, New York housewife who was arrested in 1964 for handing out, get this, she handed out arsenic-laced ant poison buttons as part of a quote-unquote self-evident Halloween joke. Yeah, real funny. Here's poison. (laughs) Dude, her reasoning is great, too. So, annoyed that many of the trick-or-treaters were quote-unquote too old to be asking for free candy, she made up packages of inedible treats to give the teenagers. Oh my god, dude. The packages contained... <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's not funny because she's a fucking monster, but the packages contained dog biscuits, steel wool pads, and the ant buttons which were clearly marked poison and labeled with a skull and crossbones. She also took the precaution of telling the teenagers that the packages were a joke when she handed them out, and there's no record of anyone being harmed by her actions. Even so, the potential for harm was there, and so she was charged. She pled guilty to endangering children and eventually received a suspended sentence. What a Dude, cunt. Seriously, like, what a absolute hag. Like... No wonder why older kids went on to do worse things as, like, times went on, if that was, like, the general consensus of things. Like, yeah. 
I mean, you really do have to be a hag to deny older kids candy on Halloween. Give them because, a small piece of candy or something. Yeah. Be like, yo, go. you know what? You're way too old. Here's like yeah. half a Milky Way. Get fucking lost. Right. But like you're going to hand them poison. Yeah. And like here's my thing. Like if they're trick-or-treating, they're staying out of trouble. They're not oh, vandalizing. Great point. They're not great doing point. drugs. They're not drinking. Let them have candy, you goddamn hag woman. Let Jesus. them eat cake woman god let them eat cake and candy (laughs) but like for real they're not like this is the reason why older kids do shit on halloween right like a lot of the times it's like if i was living in a neighborhood if i was living in a neighborhood when i was younger and i was like 15 years old right Obviously, you know, Devil's Night and all that crap where you Mm -hmm. go out and you you raise a little hell and, you know, shit happens. If I went out on a Halloween as a teenager and some lady goes, here, have a poison ant button. You're too old to be trick-or-treating. Do you think for one second her house would have been ruined the next day? Yeah. TP'd and egged. 100%. Everything. I've never seen that in my life until I lived in Moodus, Connecticut. And, uh, wow, dude, I, uh, I remember we lived on a dirt road and I have never seen a tree so TP'd up in my life. That person had to have been like a real jack off to like all the kids because all the other houses were fine, but this yeah. one house, dude, it was egged to death and there was toilet paper in all the yep. trees. I've, oh, I've noticed that there's, it's either a kid that no one likes, his house always gets the worst of it. Or it's an adult that no kid likes, and that house gets the worst of it. Either mm-hmm. a person in the neighborhood who's just like a curmudgeon to people, or um, like a teacher that nobody likes from school. Like those are the houses that get hit, or just kids being assholes to another kid that they like to bully. Like those yeah. are the houses that get hammered. Typically, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So, next story. We already made a New Hampshire reference. Let's head to my home state of Connecticut. (laughs) After Halloween 1994, a three-year-old boy from New Britain, Connecticut, was diagnosed as suffering from cocaine poisoning. Ironic? Not really. It's Connecticut. Drug of choice. Though he'd been sick earlier the day... I'm sorry. Though he'd been sick earlier in the day and reportedly also had a a bad habit of putting everything he found in his mouth... The finger was immediately pointed at tampered Halloween candy, with all the usual accompanying media hype and hysteria. More than a week later, the local police announced that no traces of cocaine or any other drug had been found on the leftover piece of candy that he was supposed to have been poisoned by. Evidently, he just had shitty parents instead. Yep, yep. Uh, it's, it's funny you say that because something very similar happened here about a year ago, actually. Um, and even crazier, it was someone I went to school with and I worked with them after high school. Um, so basically they sold drugs in the house and left the kid unattended. Um, not only did they sell, but they also trafficked drugs and I assumed used them too, but I guess that's only alleged. I don't know for a fact. I mean, it's kind of a given though, like, eh. Yeah, exactly. They say don't Um, get high on your own supply, but everybody does. Everybody does. So basically, long story short, the kid ended up being unattended and ate cocaine and ended up overdosing, uh, thus killing the kid. So ridiculous. Um, Well, when the cops showed up, instead of confessing to what actually happened, because he was still responsive when the cops showed up. Right. Instead of confessing to what had actually happened, they said that he ate drywall. And then wasn't responsive. And basically the thing that's really tragic is they think that they could have saved this child's life if they knew what was going on from the get go, uh, knowing it was cocaine. Um, The kid was almost two years old when he died. Uh, And I was just actually uh, brushing up on this story uh, when we were doing some research for this cast. And I found out that the dad has been sentenced to 10 years and the mom got 20. Good. Yeah. Oh, I agree. But it is again. It's just both of them. That it's just so wild. You know when like when you know like you hear people and they say like oh you know so and so I can't believe that they murdered someone they were so nice or I can't believe this happened with them they were such a like this was this is like my instance like 
I wouldn't say that we were necessarily friends, but like we were like pretty decent acquaintances. Like we right. had gone out for like, drinks a couple they times. Didn't, like, they didn't seem like shitty people. They were just shitty right. parents. Right. But I mean, I guess it just kind of shows you like drugs will yeah. make your life just spiral out of control. And uh, well, and the other thing is too is like there are just some people out there that shouldn't have kids. Yeah, that's bottom yeah. line, right? Like some people are not meant to be parents, and that's fine. That's okay. Right. You want to be a shitty fucking drug dealer, you're allowed to do that. It's against the law, and if you get caught, you know, go fuck yourself. But, you know, if that's the choice you want to make with your life, then that's fine. But don't have a fucking kid. Agreed. Agreed. And and that's now all. I can't imagine, like, the guilt you have to live with every single day knowing that mm-hmm. uh, basically you killed your own kid by being so careless. Yeah. Like, Ugh. and and I'm, I'm sure my parents won't appreciate me. Um putting them out on blast here but they were party animals <laughs> like my parents were party animals before i was born mm-hmm. you know and but like the second that they found out i was coming along everything stopped yeah like it was yeah. it was no it, there were no questions about it there was no it's like okay that's it we're done you know now yeah. we have another life to worry about well my uh, uh or at least that's the what same... they say i don't know if there's anything wrong well it's kind of had like the weird opposite <laughs> effect um my dad was 17 when he had me. My mom was uh, 19. So they were very young. I wanted young. you to say 13 so badly. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> God, no. Um, so they had me when they were very young. Um, hence, being so young, living in rural Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, my dad didn't have many options. Uh, he was in trouble a lot uh, and ended up joining the Navy, mm-hmm. uh, which was a good move for him. And that's how I ended up in Connecticut through transfers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Basically, long story short, once I got a little bit older and it could bring me places, I too ended up at a lot of parties myself. Because, I mean, in the Navy, drinking is just a big thing. Everyone drinks in the Navy. Um, I, th- that being said, though, I was never really put in an unsafe situation. So yeah. it's. But, I mean, bringing your kid to a party, it's different than leaving your kid alone with a pound of cocaine. Right. <laughs> exactly yeah i i guess you know I, mean? I guess that's not even anywhere comparable but <laughs> but i mean it's just god who leaves kids unattended with drugs like that around it's just idiots yeah all right well even as recently as 2000 the year 2000 an odd act of randomness occurred in the town of hercules california near san francisco some trick-or-treaters came home with little packets of marijuana done up to look like miniature Snickers bars. Parents of the kids who received this special treat quickly contacted the police, who just as quickly traced the giveaway to a particular house. There, a mystified homeowner was confronted about the find. Police investigated and were satisfied the homeowner had no knowledge of the special contents of certain bars that were handed out that night. Yeah, bullshit. <laughs> that's the thing that's that that feels like bullshit because here's the thing that shit is so expensive nobody's paying 20 dollars per bar of chocolate and handing it out to kids it's just not happening it's too expensive <laughs> it's too expensive for a joke or a gag the and then like second expensive off, prank yeah right and then like second of all and like sorry mom and dad again where the hell are people handing out drugs to kids on halloween because Hercules, i need to california find... I need to find that neighborhood and go trick-or-treat it. <laughs> Drugs are expensive, and if someone's handing them out, I'm there to collect them. Like, well, end of story. So let me, let me explain a little further, shine some right. light on, on, your, on your questions here, Chris. <laughs> the marijuana packets, dressed up to look like Snickers bars, had landed in the Hercules dead letter office, which is a section of the post office. Because whoever had tried to mail the package containing them either didn't use enough postage or had listed an incorrect address. A postal employee, a.k.a. the mystified homeowner, charged with transporting the bars plus various canned goods that had accumulated in the dead letter office to a local charity, kept the candy for his own use. Hmm. He brought the candy home to give out on Halloween thinking the Snickers bars were, well, Snickers bars, which is why you should never try to do something nice for other people. <laughs> That's fair. And that, that makes a little bit more sense now <laughs> once you put it into perspective. Yeah. But, like, 
also here's the other side of the coin why 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 the why in the fuck are you giving out candy that you found in a random box at the post office to children on halloween like it just seems so reckless like obviously yeah. with the myth of poison halloween candy strewn about every year who in the right minds thinks to themselves like oh mystery candy from the post office like that's been sitting back there for over a year better give that out to kids on halloween like i want to know what i want to know is because i'm not um as much as i would like to be i'm not as involved in the drug community um as i would like <laughs> that's a yeah you can just reference me that's fine that's fine so my question is, is and granted this is in 2000 so things have changed in the last you know 20 years but he said they looked like snickers bars i'm assuming they're not like packets of marijuana that say snickers on the package no right so this had to just look like off-brand candy packaging and he just thought it was Snickers when in reality it was marijuana. But, like, how fucking stupid do you have to – like, it's unmarked candy. Yeah. As well, far as you're concerned, like, this is homemade shit. Yeah, exactly. Like, why are you handing that out to kids? Like, Because like, anybody – buy a bag of candy. Anybody who manufactures candy on any kind of scale has some kind of branding. And if they're just dressed up to look like Snickers, there's no branding on it. So, you know what I mean? It, yeah. That's infuriating. Fucking asshole. He's a fucking right. asshole. It's so infuriating. <laughs> that's, that's Long story short, he's a fucking asshole. Yeah. Now, there are quite a few other stories that are related to the poison Halloween candy myth. But, again, none of them fall into the category of some deranged weirdo handing out poison to kids in an attempt to do nothing other than harm them. Unless you count that dumbass Helen Feifel who handed out the ant buttons, which were literally poison. But more intriguing to me was throughout all of the research process, the one thing I couldn't find was any evidence to support the razor blades in the apple claim. It's because, again, it's just literally a myth, and it's just, it's funny how when things get repeated over and over and over again, they it become just becomes law. a reality. Yeah. yeah. Like, it, it's, oh, well, I heard someone so say it, it must be true. Yeah. It's just... So, the only thing that I could find when um, I was doing the research were um, a number of accounts of kids inserting the blades and needles into their own candy and fruit to in an attempt to be funny or scare their parents and not realizing just how fucking stupid it was and how badly they scared their entire town and in some cases a far greater number of people yeah like what a stupid prank who's the prank on yourself like oh we pranked her like i guess it was on the parents but like in the end the prank's on you because the parents threw away all your candy so good job screwing up that one yeah fucking <sighs> morons Jesus. So now, despite all the evidence pointing to the fact that this is far more legend than reality, there has been one constant that has helped keep this particular urban legend at the top of every parent's mind on October 31st, and that would be the media. No, no, the media never pushes fear for ratings ever. <laughs> that shocks me. Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're shocked. Uh, oh, absolutely floored. Uh, wow. I can't believe that they would fear monger for ratings. Oh, oh, Lord. <laughs> well, despite these claims of poison candy being eventually proven false, the news media promotes the story continuously throughout the 80s with local news stations featuring frequent coverage. During this time, cases of poisoning were repeatedly reported based on unsubstantiated claims or before a full investigation could be completed, and often never followed up on. Go figure. This hmm. one-sided coverage contributed to the overall panic and caused rival media outlets to issue reports of candy tampering as well, because God forbid they take a hit in the ratings. However, Joel Best says in The Razor Blade in the Apple, The Social Construction of Urban Legends, that the spread of the myth cannot be blamed solely on the media and that it must have been transmitted via word of mouth as well. But I have to disagree with that strongly, and I will tell you why. Well, please do. Um, I want to hear it. For starters, yes, word of mouth is very um, 
prevalent and, and important in spreading an urban legend. However, with this particular thing, and in general, I solely blame the media for this. And another example, I'm, I'm going to step up onto my soapbox here for a minute. Okay. But there are many examples that, that I like to use, but these mass shootings that have, you know, taken over the country, if you will, the past few years, um, mm-hmm. you know, ever since Columbine, but really prevalently in the last, let's say, five years. Every time somebody does something, there's a friggin' three-page expose. They're on the cover of uh, Rolling Stone magazine, right, the Boston Bombers. They, they, they give all this coverage. They make them – they don't necessarily make them heroes, but they make them famous. Right. Because right. they are they are giving them what they wanted, which was attention. Right. And also, uh, another thing that I've noticed with that too is like, if it's if there's some sort of, I I hate saying this because again, it, it's it's political, but like, it's true, and you'll see the pattern. If there's an agenda to be pushed behind the shooting or behind really anything, they'll report on it nonstop. Harp, harp, harp. Report, right. report, report. This is how we make sure it doesn't happen again. However, if it doesn't fit a narrative, you'll never hear about it ever. Right. There, so there's. I was continue, just gonna say there's there's shootings that happen that we never even hear about that you don't get because, the coverage on because they can't push because, anything on right it. because they didn't go in there shouting you know Mexicans go home or whatever the case may be. Right. So to continue, right. So to continue my point, you know they're they're publishing their manifestos. They're they're giving them all of this coverage right my issue with it is this and i'm not equating these two i'm not putting these two things on the same plane so before anyone gets outraged i'm not saying this is the same thing however look at the end results of what i'm about to say do you remember streakers people that would run out onto sporting event fields Mm -hmm. naked they would take off all their yeah. clothes, they would jump out on the field, and they would get chased around, and the cameras would follow them, and it would be funny, mm-hmm. ha, 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 and they got their 15 minutes of fame. Yeah. Somebody, I don't know who, whether it was the FCC or the stations all got together and said, fuck these guys, whatever the case may be. Anytime somebody goes out onto the field, the network covering the game refuses to show them. And I am willing, I will bet anything that the number of people running out onto the field clothed or unclothed since they have stopped showing them has declined for sure because they're not getting their 15 minutes anymore even with social media where it is and all the instagramming and all that stuff it's not like it was and the point that i'm making is is that if you start denying these people the fame Say who did it. That's fine. The public has a right to know who committed the act. They don't mm-hmm. need to show their picture. Nope. They don't need to show it. They don't need to show their manifesto. Nope. It's not important. Right. This person was mentally ill. That's why they did what they did. Yep. That's it. This person was I... a dumb fuck who doesn't deserve our time or emotion. It's oh, a sad thing that happened. Your thoughts and prayers should be with the people who were affected by it, but fuck the people who did it, and that's it. They're either arrested or dead, and they're going to serve justice. Mm-hmm. Either way, as long as they didn't take their own life, if they're arrested or dead, justice is served, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> In my opinion. I mean, I'm sure you remember, because it was so close to home for both of us, but uh, after the Boston bombings happened, they put that fucker on the cover of Time magazine. Was it Time? I thought it was Rolling Stone. Oh, was it Rolling Stone? I think it was one of it. Was even worse, by the way. Either way, Rolling Stone means like people that are on the cover of Rolling Stone are celebrities, right? Time is a little bit more um, upscale, if you want to, like, like, to for lack of a better word. But like Rolling Stone, like the people that make the, I, I have a a Rolling Stone magazine with Robin Williams on the cover. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it's just insane to, because uh, like there you go, there's there's Robin Williams, and then you go and put a domestic terrorist on the yep. front. It's just like, well, what the fuck? Right, but like, that's, that's not where you belong. And that's that's kind of my point is because the media 
all they want is ratings. Nothing mm-hmm. else matters. And and that's why one of my favorite shows of all time is The Newsroom with uh, Jeff Daniels. I've never seen it. I'm pretty sure it was an HBO. I'm, I'm almost 100% positive. It was an HBO show. They did three seasons, uh, give or take. One of the most amazing shows, I think, ever. Because it was about a news program, a nightly news like um, you know CNN, NBC nightly news, that kind of thing. But it was they they decided we're gonna do the news, but we're gonna do it the right way, and we're gonna ask questions. We're not just gonna do fluff pieces when co- when when politicians come on, like when tragedy strikes. We're going to be reporting the real stuff. I would check it out. Seriously, highly, highly recommend. Yeah, I just looked it up. Um, yeah, I Dude, have it pulled first, up in the tab for the after. The first scene of the first episode is one of the most amazing dialogue or monologues, really, that you will ever hear. Yeah. Okay. So 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 powerful. But I mean, that is a huge tangent. Let's jump back to <laughs> poison Halloween candy. Now that we've gotten our politics out there. (laughs) Uh, By 1985, the media had driven the hysteria about candy poisonings to such a point that an ABC News Washington Post poll that found 60% of parents feared that their children would be injured or killed because of Halloween candy sabotage. That's ridiculous, considering that no substantiated cases had happened. Just that one. And it's just like, oh, well, what should I do if my kid gets poisoned? Better check the news. Duh, 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 duh. It's just like, ugh. It's like, stop. Yeah. It got so bad at one point that advice columnists entered the fray during the 80s and the 90s with both Ask Ann Landers and Dear Abby warning parents of the Halloween candy tampering. Okay. These are direct quotes from their columns. In recent years, there have been reports of people with twisted minds putting razor blades and poison in taffy apples and Halloween candy. It is no longer safe to let your child eat treats that come from strangers. End quote. Ann Landers, 1995. Where's your proof, Ann? Where is your proof on that? (laughs) This is not true, Ann. Come on, stop lying. There have been reports of people with twisted minds putting razor blades and poison in taffy apples. That is not true. It's unsubstantiated. There have been reports of kids being fucking morons. Right. There have been reports up to that point of Halloween candy being poisoned and then later found out that it had nothing to do with strangers. But that quote is inaccurate and unsubstantiated and she had no right – she had no backing to really say that. Get it together, Anne. Right. Next one. Quote, somebody's child will become violently ill ill or die after eating poison candy or an apple containing a razor blade. End quote. Dear Abby, 1983. (laughs) Fuck you, Abby. That's that's such a pointless, like, like, it's just so pointless. That's like being like... Oh, uh, you know, when you're when you're at the park, it's possible your kid could get hit by a car and die. It's just like, yeah. well, well, no shit, that's possible. Like, but she you didn't have, have to just, write. She could have just said, if you go jogging in Central Park after midnight, your chances of being raped are increased. Right, right. That's because that, yeah, it, it's God, Abby. You just dear Abby. And that, by together. the way, that would have been more accurate than her candy apple fucking post. Right, God, what a what a bunch of ding dongs, Jesus. <laughs> Well, in conclusion, there are plenty of psychos out there. And if you know of anyone handing out fruit or candied apples on a Halloween, chances are they are one of them. And you should definitely check whatever they give your kids or nieces and nephews or whoever, uh, because at the very least, they are shitty people just for handing out fruit and candied apples. But there is really no evidence (laughs) to support the claims that Halloween candy is potentially deadly. Yeah. And like, obviously, still check your kids candy when you get home. Like, just because there's no real case of this happening doesn't mean you need to be another like uh, a first real case or should aim to be the first case by just being careless with your kids candy. Check it. Look at it. Like, you don't need to put under a microscope and dissect it, but just check check your kids candy for Christ's sake. Well, and I would also still keep this. 
uh, particular urban legend in your back pocket in case you want to use it to take some of your kids' candy for yourself. Well, well, yeah. You know, I know that when little baby Supa starts trick-or-treating, although by that time trick-or-treating and Halloween uh, in general might end up being a victim of cancel culture because some white kid dresses up like a ninja and causes a national outrage of racial appropriation. But I digress. When little baby Supa starts trick-or-treating, I will most likely be using this to take some of his candy because I'm a sugar addict and I can't help myself. Yeah, but it's just the parent tax. That's exactly. It's the parent tax. Listen, if I have to sacrifice my fucking Halloween to take your ass trick-or-treating and grandma and grandpa aren't up here to fucking watch you... <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna take your candy that's right but that's all for this week's episode on the poisoned halloween candy factor fiction um i have to say that this urban legend is pretty much debunked um yeah. until some psychopath actually does it and that's and not an know. invitation right that's exactly. not an invitation that's not, anyone. that's not an invitation like don't I, go I, proving I, us wrong right this is, I mean, if you, if you have a, uh, something that I missed, if there is a story out there that I missed of an, of an actual, just straight up random person handing out random bad shit to random kids for no other reason other than to cause them physical, emotional, or mental distress, then feel free to email it to us at, um, the number four guys media network at gmail.com i'm I'm happy to post a little short uh after this episode and and correct the fact that it's it has not been debunked and it's actually happened happy to but if you as always have any urban legends or conspiracy theories that you think we should cover feel free to email us again at the number four guys media network at gmail.com Please make sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Check the like and subscribe buttons on YouTube, on the Four Guys Media Network page, or check us out on SoundCloud by searching M-I-O-H pod, all one word. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next time on the Mystery in Our History podcast. Bye! No deep dab this time? No deep dab. Just... <laughs> I'll, give, I'll, give, I'll give one for the, for the fans. A half, a half a deep dab. Yeah, it's for the fans. <laughs>